you've got to let go of your narrative. You've got to feel comfortable letting go of your narrative because as soon as you do, you start to see what you ought to see. You start to see what was already there. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Live Into Your Brilliance podcast, the place where we shine a light on the innate brilliance of human beings and have a lot of fun blowing up thought-created illusions that get in the way. I am delighted to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mark Billows-Bilby, who is in somewhere rather exotic today for the recording of this episode. Do you want to let everyone in on uh, where you're recording from, my globe-trotting friend? Yeah. Hello, mate. Um, I am pleased to be dialing in from beautiful Nassara in uh, Costa Rica, celebrating the joint 50th birthdays of three of our really good mates. Five days together, walking on the beach, doing yoga, uh, eating healthily and uh, and then having a few wicked cocktails. So um, should be fun. Oh, mate, that sounds amazing. We'll have a blast. How cool. And you're like, here you are living your uh, digital nomadic dream, all just coming about. Like, you know, I was talking to someone this morning and we had the conversation about, oh yeah, like, uh, and they were talking about wanting to have travel and um, more presence and time with friends and family, and that will happen after the um, their business is successful. And we ended up exploring the idea of what if it's possible to have it all now. And so I'm kind of just pointing to that because you're role modeling that it's all an offer if you're open to the possibility of it, which is very cool. Yeah, and and you know, and thanks for saying that. And and you know, I, I think I shared this in a previous podcast when when before we went to France to watch the Rugby World Cup, I had literally said to Vanessa, like, if if I get on another airplane, like, please shoot me because I was done with travel and the TSA and transatlantic, you know, darts and and what have you. But something, the universe obviously had other plans in store. And, and because I, I was so open when we went to France and we had deliberately not um, planned it to with an inch of our life, something happened, something was triggered and I saw something for the first time. And, and a lot of the things that I had been attached to, a lot of my thinking that I had been attached to around, you know, how our, our careers and our jobs limit uh, the ability to blend being with beautiful people, good friends, being with family, you know, it, it's, it's a given. Like you get two weeks vacation a year and, and that's when you go and see your family or that's when you go and do the big trip to South Africa to catch up with key people or what have you. And I'd, I'd become so attached to that thinking. Um, and then I saw something for the first time and I experienced it firsthand where I was able to connect with people all around the globe. It didn't actually matter which room I was sitting in, in which country. And, and then I put it out there and, and sure enough, it's, it's taken on a life of its own. Yeah. There's so much in that. I think it's a, it's a, another podcast in itself that is for another day because today we have got a question from, uh, a friend of uh, and someone who we know from past lives in working life, uh, the wonderful Helen Boothby. And this is Helen's question or topic, I guess. Um, one thing that has stumped me somewhat when I am doing business coaching with clients is when previous trauma or negative experiences from early life has set a pattern of limiting beliefs and negative self-chat. Have you guys got any ideas or insights that would be helpful on this topic? Yeah, this is a this is a big one um, because I think. Uh, and so, firstly, Helen, thanks. Um, lovely that you're engaging with us um, ac across the tinterwebs, um, and thank you for your your thoughtful question. For me, what came up when, when I read that um, was we all ship with an accumulation of stuff. And, and I think we've said this before. You know, we, we go through life 
Um, and, and actually, I think if, if we're honest with each other, we all have this experience or this, or this point in time in our youth where we suddenly become horribly aware of expectations and the, the limitations of society. And, and it's, it's kind of, you know, it, it's kind of what we were chatting about with Susie. Like there's a moment when you suddenly lose that childlike innocence and you, and you're actually, you're acutely aware that, oh shit, like life just got real and there are real consequences. And this is, this is maybe not as, as, as awesome and as carefree as I thought. And, and something switches. And Vanessa, my wife, has this um, this moment in her psyche where her and her brother were sitting up on top of her like a six foot wall, and you know they were just young, adventurous, mischievous kids, and they were throwing these conkers from this tree at passing cars, and I think her brother threw one, and it hit the windscreen of this passing car and the, and the car like screeched to a halt and the driver understandably got out and was mad as a snake and berated them and they ch- took off and, and, and nothing came of it. Like the neighbor, you know, it wasn't the neighbor, but the person, the driver never tracked them down, but they disappeared into their yard. And I think there was a knock on the door and what have you. But like there was no like punishment or anything. But she she remembers that moment so distinctly, and she remembers that moment as a moment when this fear and this horror and this kind of this perception of a different world that wasn't carefree anymore. It wasn't mischievous and adventurous and exciting. It was actually it had consequences and it. And, it, and, you know, there was this risk and, you know, whatever. And, and like these things sort of came into, into view for her. And, and she said it like profoundly affected the way she was from that moment forth. Suddenly fear crept in where fear had not existed. And I think for a lot of us, we can think about a moment where fear creeps in, puts down its roots, and those roots become increasingly strong anchors, and that fear becomes a dominant tree. And it it casts a massive shadow over what we know is always there, which is a fearless, carefree, loving, open existence, the blue sky. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just putting that out there that, that I think this is a hot topic because we probably, if we're all honest, we probably have a moment that we can cast our minds back to when, when that, that happened. And I remember my one was, I was sent off to boarding school when I was age seven and, um, and I remember everything was just bliss and I'd had this really happy upbringing and, and then, and then I went off to boarding school and I was lying in bed at age seven in a sort of dormitory on these sort of army type cots with a dog basket underneath my bed where you put all your clothes and your toiletries and your shoes. And I suddenly sat bolt up in, in bed and I, got out of bed and I rushed to the matron's room and it was probably 10 o'clock at night and I banged on the door and I was in tears. And, and I said, matron, is it true that we don't go home for the first weekend? And she was like, yeah, you don't go home for the, and they used to keep you for two weeks. You wouldn't go out for the first weekend because they kind of wanted to break you in. And, um, that moment for me was the moment that fear just like came rushing in. I was like, what is going on? Like, this, my world's been turned upside down. Yeah, like the two powerful stories. Um, and I think <clears throat> I, I really like your metaphor of the roots and the, the strong trees taking hold. It's interesting as well, looking at Helen's question, you know, when clients 
you know, have a previous trauma or negative experiences. And I think what you're pointing to is a key thing. Everyone has trauma. Everyone experiences trauma. Uh, everyone has had negative experiences. And I guess there's a, there's big T trauma and there's little T trauma. And it's not for me to kind of decide which is which, or it's not for us to decide. But I think we know what we mean when we said big T trauma. You know, if someone, you know, potentially loses a parent when they're very young or, you know, potentially it, it can, you know, ranges of abuse happen and things of like that big T trauma. And then there's little T trauma. And, I, you know, um, as funny as you were talking about um, Vanessa and her brother, it made me think of myself and my cousin because we um, think we're about 16 on the side of a dual carriageway. And we had these uh, squash rackets with us. And we we were jumping in front of cars, like, pretending like <laughs> like that we had some sort of weaponry on us thinking it was hilarious right up until an unmarked police car came up and uh and ordered us to get into the back of the car and whipped us off to a station <laughs> uh, we I, never seen panic like it um but we've all had big we've all had big t or there's we've all had trauma and then there's there's different degrees of trauma and they all leave their mark in some way or another, which is the accumulations. And I think what's um, on offer is to A, know that that is part of the experience of life is things happen that, that do, can have, a, can have an impact which is not even seen. But I think when um, I think one of the things that can happen is we can get attached to the idea of the tree, you know, whatever it is, the belief that gets formed. And I think what we're hearing in what I hear in Helen's question is, what 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 is it when someone is very attached to their story around the trauma, which is what's co- holding them in, you know? And you know, I think this is where we start to look at, like there is the idea of the past. There is the idea of the past, like that story, your story, my story, Vanessa's story, those things happened at a point in time. Um, However, like that was one instance. And I think it's being able to really start to look at the difference between reliving the traumatic experience over and over again, or being able to detach from it and starting to to be able to have an objective view of, oh yeah, that did happen. I can tell that story. And then to start looking at being really curious, hang on, what is the belief that took hold at that point? And a belief is nothing more than a thought. You know, it's a thought that has cycled through the sky of our mind over and over again. And like you said, it feels like the root is really strong because it's it's something that has percolated over time, but it's still nothing more than a thought. And so the opportunity is to go, well, does that instance mean that I'm any more in danger now than I was when I was sat on the wall throwing conkers at that car? And, and when we start to separate those things out, those moments and go, yeah, that moment happened. And there was a consequence in that moment. And I felt fear in that moment. And to be able to see, but that doesn't mean that I need to be fearful of, you know, whatever it might be, taking risks, pushing the boundaries, you know, you might learn not to throw conquers, but I but I think that's that's part of where we have to look is whether it's capital T trauma or little t trauma is to be able to separate out the moment from the belief and then to get curious about the belief to see what's true in there or not and what who would we be without those beliefs. Those beliefs are born from an innocence. They got created in order in some way they take hold to keep us safe. Like that's the, there's real innocence in them. There's no judgment on the beliefs because those beliefs, we, we adopted those beliefs in order to keep ourselves safe. So if someone's stuck, it's really because 
sometimes they're like, no, this keeps me safe. And so we have to kind of play in that, in that area as well. Yeah, no, I think there's real power in, in what you're pointing to there, mate. And, and, you know, I'll use Vanessa as a, as an example. So Vanessa has experienced capital T trauma, um, which I won't go into, but, you know, um, I've, I've always joked with her. I said she would be a, a classic, uh, candidate for a guest on the show. And hopefully one day she'll take me up on the offer. But, um, but she won't mind me saying that, you know, uh, not so long ago, um, 18 months ago, she went through absolute hell and, you know, she experienced anxiety and depression in, in such a crippling way that she lost 30 pounds in weight. And if you've ever seen Vanessa, you know that, you know, that she couldn't even afford to lose 10 pounds of weight. So she lost 30 pounds. She couldn't get off the couch for five months. Um, and, and she, she was in a really bad way. And the, the most fascinating thing, and I think this goes right to the heart of what we're, we're talking about here was she had to be very kind to herself. She had to, she had to be very honest with her, which is very difficult when you're in this shitty, dark, lonely place. I mean, you are so far down in the basement. There's a, not even a pinprick of light. You've got to um, hopefully have the guides, and she did. She had the legend that is Mavis Khan. Um, but you've got to have a guide that points to the narrative that you have grown so attached to that the beliefs that that have done an amazing job up until the age of almost 50 of keeping you safe, keeping you protected are simply that. And the less you try to figure it out, the, the, the more you can fall back into the, the innocence that has been lost and the, the love and the joy that has been lost. And, and when I say lost, I don't mean it's gone. It's just obscured from view. And so, and, and, and Vanessa will tell you, I mean, she'll, she'll say like the, the, the most powerful thing that she was able to do during this whole process. And, it, and it's remarkable because she will even attest to this being a very traumatic experience but it has a silver lining and she would never have thought that in the midst of it she would have ever said like she's grateful for this happening to her but now she's she will say i'm i'm grateful that that happened because i saw what i needed to see and what she needed to see was it was okay to let go of her narrative this narrative the set of beliefs that she had cultivated and had been protecting her for so long it reached the end of its usefulness and she had to let it go because she knew it wasn't true. It was just her narrative. It was what she had cultivated in order to keep herself safe. And so she let go of the narrative. She let go of the fearful girl and she was able to see herself for what she was and who she is. She was able to talk about the capital T trauma as an event, but she was able to let go of all of the attachments associated with her interpretation of that event. And, and so in letting go of her narrative and embracing the concept of not trying to figure it out but just sitting quietly and not getting attached to the thoughts that were creating the feelings that were creating this kind of crippling existence. She was able to eventually exercise enough of that muscle to kind of come out of it. Um, and, and now she's like, I mean, she's, she's a different human being and the fears that were a huge part of her narrative 
are no longer fears. And when they do pop up, she's able to go, ah, I'm doing it again. And the one thing that I think is so powerful in all of it is, and you've said this many times, is this is not about you denying that things have happened, you know, capital T has happened, trauma has happened. Like it's very real. It feels very real. It is very real. You must experience it for all, all its rawness. But it's, but there's something very powerful in saying that it is an experience that is a circumstance. And I'm going to put that in my library, but I am not going to spend the rest of my days feeling my thinking about that event and spinning up a narrative to justify how I'm feeling in order to protect myself until the limitations of that narrative smash into a brick wall and I'm left in a bloody pile, sucking my thumb, trying to figure out my, my mental state. And it's, and so going to Helen's kind of question or comment, like the, the heart of it, and it's very difficult. It's easy to say it's difficult to sometimes guide people there, but it's like you've got to let go of your narrative. You've got to feel comfortable letting go of your narrative because as soon as you do, you start to see what you ought to see. You start to see what was already there. Mm. Um, you said something uh, which was about not figuring it out. And I'd love for you to just talk to that because when you said that, what did you, what did you mean by that? You know, not, not trying to figure it out. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you an example that is like just very, hopefully very tangible and accessible for people. So, you know, when you, when you're lying in bed sometimes and you're really struggling to fall asleep because your mind is racing, this noise is racing and you're just, you're attaching to thought after thought. And maybe there's one train of thought, maybe there are multiple trains of thought and you're feeling your thinking and it's not comfortable and it's, it's creating this kind of obsessive behavior or, or just unease or whatever it is. And you can't quieten your mind. When I say stop trying to figure it out, it's like, it's almost like physically stepping back, observing yourself doing that and being okay with you being plagued by the noise in your head without trying to do anything about it. It's just observing it and going, ah, okay, there I am lying in bed with a very, very noisy head because of whatever. Maybe I had too much alcohol. Maybe I ate the wrong thing. Maybe I haven't exercised enough. Maybe I, you know, maybe I got into a fight today with my partner or maybe I just had a shitty day at work or, you know, something's triggered. There's some triggers happened and it's just having that awareness to go, it's a trigger. I'm feeling my thinking. I don't have to attach to this and I can just sit here and see it for what it is. That's what I think is not trying to figure it out. It's just sitting quietly or lying there quietly, observing, and then acting from that place of observation rather than from that place of engagement. Yeah, no, I'm glad I asked that question because I think that's, I think you're pointing at something that's really important, which is there's nothing wrong you know, there's nothing wrong in the feelings, there's nothing wrong in whatever's happening is okay. And and the reason why I sense that's important is because resistance is futile. You know, the more we resist, the the more energy we give it. And so, you know, I think, you know, with anyone that, that I'm working with, that you're working with, or or Helen's working with, I think that is one of the keys, first of all, is, you know, there's nothing wrong. And so it's slowing everything down to allow you and clients and, and for anyone listening to just be with what is. Because the resistance gives it energy. It, it kind of creates the idea of like, this needs to go away. And I think the invitation is to go... Whatever is happening is is all in service of you. 
it, it might it might no longer be working as well as it you know when it was originally designed it's no longer to your point it's no longer useful it's meeting the end of its um of its of its use usefulness and that's a good thing to know like if these things are coming to the surface we've got a guest coming on in a few weeks a guy called rob Begg, also in and he was the first person that said this to me. He, he's like, when you have um, feelings coming to the surface, that's a really good thing because it means they want to get out. Like whatever's there, it's, it's finding its way out of your system. So in one sense, if, if these things are coming to the surface, it's, it's a sign that it's time. In my view, it's a sign that it's time and, 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 and we want to be with that. And then I think the other opportunity in this is to be prepared to go back in. Like it's such a, you know, if we took Vanessa's story, again, I'm just kind of the conquers one. It's like being curious. When's the first time that this took hold? Like what, what, what age were you when you remember for the very first time having this thought? And because there'll be something in that story. And it's amazing. Like with a whole bunch of people, I've had this and one person, it was like a time at school. Um, one of mine is with my dad around when he was selling the farm and, 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 you know, and, and he'd asked me, you know, I was, cause I was the eldest son. And, and in my mind, he was asking me like whether, he, whether I thought he should or not. And I said, and I think I gave it about like 10 seconds. I was like, do what you want. Like, I just knew I was never going to be a farmer. But for you, and this only happened recently, because after that, somewhere in my psyche, like what got lodged was, oh, you got to be careful what you say in the moment because it can have, it can hurt people in the future. And so it's amazing. So you go back and it's like, What's the earliest point and what is the belief that took hold? And the reason why the opportunity for that is so profound is because it's the opportunity to see yourself from a different perspective. You know, it's almost like you're looking back upon yourself, almost like you're your own parent. You're looking back and saying, oh, I can see that innocence believing that it's better to like play it safe because you want because you don't want to hurt people you know so therefore you know whatever might be taken hold but you you can start to see yourself and the belief that's formed at that point but you because once you see the innocence it allows you to forgive in an interesting way and it's a place that I want to take it to which is the power of forgiveness and the first place we have to start with is ourselves because we're the person we're often hardest on is ourselves, particularly I think when it comes to where these traumas have kind of, the, the roots have taken hold somewhere, we're also kind of thinking that we're to blame for why we are now this way versus seeing, no, like you're, there is no blame. There is only innocence. And when we start to see the innocence, we can get that, that, that allows us to liberate it. And the other thing that I think is hugely on offer in terms of forgiveness is a lot of trauma does involve other people, you know, and sometimes that, that can have a really tight grip. And um, forgiveness is so powerful because it's always for ourselves, you know, and sometimes we have to see the innocence in ourselves and we have to see the innocence in others. Um, and, you know, again, I think you've said it, this is easier said than done because, because people sometimes do things and we cannot comprehend what their reasoning could have been or how the, the act seemed like an appropriate thing to do and yet for as long as we hold on to the uh, hold on to whatever it is that's keeping us trapped then well then we are trapped we're trapped by what we're holding on to and so i wanted to uh, in thinking about this i pulled this out it's um sydney banks's um book 
Sidney Banks is a Scottish mystic, was, it's called a missing link. And it's one of my favorite um, things about forgiveness. And uh, so I'm just going to read a short passage, and then I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Um, he says, an unforgiving mind burdens one with negative thoughts, holding on to yesterday's hurts. It contaminates and prevents the thinker from living a happy life now, as it is forgiveness that allows you to see today as a new experience. And then he goes on to say, slightly further down, if you live in the past, you can never find happiness. You are trying to live in a reality that no longer exists. It's a misconception to think that if you forgive someone who has harmed you, you are somehow condoning their behavior, making yourself vulnerable so that you will allow them to repeat their hurtful action. This is not so. There is a vast difference between forgiving a person and forgiving an act. And then the final piece, forgiveness releases you from mental anguish and pain and all the horrible negative feelings and unforgiving mind experiences. When you learn to forgive, you see with clarity the ignorance and the innocence of those who trespass against you. And you realize that hanging on to old grudges is like a miser in deep water, clutching at a bag of fool's gold, unaware that the fool's gold is just heavy, useless rocks weighing him down. Yeah, I love that. Uh, uh, that really resonates with me. And I think you take the story of Vanessa sitting on that wall throwing conkers at cars. And that moment, as innocent, relatively speaking, you know, small T trauma, as it may seem, obviously was a massive trigger for, for her and just in, in kind of sort of instilling a, a mustard seed of fear in her, in her chest, which then sort of the fear fed on more fear and, and, and it just grew and it became this thing. And then obviously when she had her capital T trauma, like it was, it was fertile soil for all sorts of rampant, uh, uh, attachments. Um, but the, when you deconstruct that, that story and you look at it and say, yeah, like throwing conkers at cars is not cool. Like you naughty little shits, but you were just doing what kids do. And you were, you were, you thought you were having fun because you didn't actually know, but it's okay. Like it, it wasn't the best thing to do, but nobody got hurt. Um, and, and had you had the right guide, uh, who may, might have put an arm around you and said, Hey, you know, that is not cool. Here's why it's not cool, but don't stop having fun. Like get, get into more adventures, go build some more forts, have conquer fights. Like, you know, like that, that could have turned out very differently. And I'll tell you another, a personal story. Um, and I haven't shared this actually, but it just came to me while, while we were talking about this, I went on this, um, sort of not a survival camp, but it was a sort of outdoors appreciation camp when I was very young. I think I was, uh, probably eight or nine years old. And there was one night and I remember it was torrential rain and we were sitting in a sort of, uh, barn type thing. And they, we, they said, Oh, who's got some jokes to tell. And so, I told a joke and this joke, you know, was horribly racist. Like it was a racist, disgusting joke. And, um, and I told this joke and then many years later I was reflecting and I don't know why that stuck out to me. Um, but I was reflecting years later and I was like, Jesus, I can't fucking believe I told that joke and I'm so embarrassed and I'm so ashamed. And then I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, take it easy. Like, let's, let's not, let's not like go down a, a dark hole here. Like there I was a young guy 
growing up in apartheid South Africa, where you are like conditioned to believe that, you know, as a white person, you're superior, you tell these, you know, your parents, their language. And I'm not saying my parents are rabid racist, but I'm I'm, I'm not denying that my parents have a a very prejudiced view of, of other cultures, despite some of the good that they've done for uh, people of color in, in their lives. Um, but you're brought up in this environment and, and so you think it's completely normal and it's acceptable behavior. And, and so when I, when I eventually had enough self-awareness to be kind to myself and go, you know what, fellows, like, that's not who you are. Like, don't make the mistake of attaching to that. Like, you know that that's not you. You know, you have a deep love of human beings, irrespective of their creed, color, race. Like, I really don't give a shit. Like, human beings are beautiful. Um, and I, I pride myself on having a very inclusive mindset. And so that was a moment where a silly little boy who thought he was playing to the crowd told a joke because of the environment in which he had been brought up. And it was a glaring example of everything that was wrong with South African society at that particular time, like the early eighties, like long before, you know, Mandela was released and and South Africans had their, their great awakening. And so the moment I became curious about like why like why hey why am I feeling this immense guilt and why am I living these this this thinking and feeling so awkward about it and then what was actually happening at the time and what was actually going on I was able to swap my judgment and my self-loathing for curiosity, empathy, and love. And then I could say, well, like, I love that little kid who, who actually uh, didn't know what the hell he was talking about, didn't know, wasn't sophisticated or intelligent enough to figure out what was going on at that juncture. And then I'm now self-aware enough to go, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat myself up about that for the rest of my life and and have that horrible butterfly in the stomach experience every time you think of that event. I'm just going to see it for what it is and I'm going to let go of the narrative that I'm like fuck me, maybe I am a racist or like like what like what what is what's going on here as opposed to just going stop trying to figure it out. You told a racist joke because you were ignorant. And you were brought up in a society that was ignorant. I was a reflection of that society. And that is not who I am. I don't attach to that. So I'm good. I'm, I know who I am. I'm very comfortable with who I am. And I'm letting go of that narrative. And I'm, I'm moving on. And, um, and that's small T stuff. I mean, you know, in the greater scheme of things, like it's not like, you know, my mother died of cancer when I was nine years old or I was sexually abused. But it's like, it's, it, it, it just, we all carry these traumas with us and they do, they, they, we suffer in silence a lot of the time. Whereas I think if we, the more openly we talk about them, number one, like we're doing right here, Number two, the more we are curious about what was actually going on. And number three, the, the more we can let go of this narrative that supposedly has been part of our identity and protecting us for so long and stop trying to figure it out, see it for what it is, and then fall back into our natural state of love, empathy, creativity, curiosity for the world. Like I think that's... In that is the formula for for happiness and peace of mind. And we have the perfect system to know where we're at at any moment. And to bring it back around to one of our favorite things to talk about, which is a practice. You know, 
it's totally okay, isn't it, to have like we notice when we're getting we're falling back into the unhelpful thinking because we can feel it. So whether it's guilt or judgment or whatever that may be, it's okay. Like it'll happen from time to time. Like if we have been practicing for however many years, potentially like an ingrained belief that's been circling around, even when we see through it, chances are that we will have that thinking come back up again. And when it does, it's noticing, oh, I'm attaching again. And we notice the closed fist, our mind closing. And that's when we get to catch our awareness again and just go back through the cycle and be like, no, hang on. It's okay. In this case for you, it's seeing I'm not a racist. I told a racist joke when I was a young, you say ignorant, I say innocent um, boy. And you see that innocence and you harvest the good. And the good is to know that that's not who you are. And then you fall back into peace again. And that's true for everybody. Whether it's little t or big t, the practice is still the same. It's going back and looking to see if A, we are still living it and living in our thinking about it. And because we can sometimes have the habit of reliving it over and over again. And first, we want to kind of create that separation to be like, oh, no, that did happen. That was that moment in time. What, And then to be able to look at what is it that I started to hold to be true and to be able to see through that and let it go. And then to see if there's any good, if there are any insights for us right now in this moment. Because if there is an insight to be had, it's nothing to do with the past. It's for us right now. And when we have that insight, then that is designed for us to live our life in this moment. And living our life in this moment is what we're designed to do. And, you know, just coming back to Sid Banks for a second, the way that that um, piece finishes is, he says, there is no way to guarantee a trouble-free life. Life is like any other contact sport you may encounter hardships of one sort or another. Wise people find happiness not in the absence of such hardships, but in their ability to understand them when they occur. And I think that's what we're talking about here, is trauma is hardship. And freedom from trauma is in the understanding of what was and what is the story and in letting go of any part of that that doesn't help us. So brother, with that said, we're kind of coming to the end of our time. And I know that I want to get you back partying with people in Costa Rica. Um, If you were to um, create a bumper sticker for life off the back of today's conversation, what would it be? My response to that is going to be a little bit of a meandering kind of uh, uh, path. But it's, I think it speaks directly to what, we, what we're pointing at here. So behind you on the wall is Roosevelt's famous man in the arena speech, right? Which he delivered in the Sorbonne in mm-hmm. 1910. And what I love about that is this concept that the clarion call is you cannot be the individual or the critic who sits uh, on the side and points out all the bad deeds and is a, an armchair critic of um, you know the, the people who have stumbled, who have fumbled, who you know valiantly try and try again, and you keep pointing out the futility of their effort or what have you. And I think this speaks to exactly what we're saying here is. Like, let's take Vanessa, right? It would have been very easy for Vanessa to maintain a narrative that was highly judgmental of herself, highly critical of herself, who pointed at what she believed were her shortcomings and and her um, inadequacies 
and and would have had this narrative that kind of justified why she was kind of where she was and why she was enduring the suffering that she was. Like that's that's like what I think a lot of people do to themselves. And then the flip side is kind of to the the man slash woman in the arena speech is then the 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 credit, the true credit belongs to the man who woman or woman who actually gets in the arena, who faces uh, are, are marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strive valiantly, who err, they come short time and time again. And they know that through this constant striving to do these deeds, they, they, they experience great enthusiasm, great devotions. They spend themselves in a worthy cause. And at the very best, in the end, when it's all done and dusted, they experience the triumph of high achievement. And at the very worst, if they fail, they fail having dared greatly. And I think that is the that is the key message is we have to, you know, when we're facing small T or capital T trauma, we have to get in the arena. We have to be curious. We have to be prepared to get the dust and the blood and the sweat uh, on our faces. We have to dare greatly to to be curious, to do the work which is, you know, what this podcast is all about. It's like, go there, do the work, like blow up the illusions. Don't, don't, don't succumb to the comfy seats of being the critic who sits, you know, in, in the bleachers and, and, and is, is, sits in judgment and points and criticizes at those doing the work. Like go do the work and, and then you will see what you are meant to see. And even if you don't triumph greatly, you would have dared to have tried and you will be in a far better place than if, if, you, if you had just sat on the bleachers sitting in judgment of yourself for your entire life and actually being a miserable you know, SOB. And so, um, so going back to Helen's amazing kind of prompt or, or question is like, you know, dare to get in the arena, dare to see it for what it is. It is hard. You're, it is bloody. It is sweaty. It is dusty. It is hard work. And, and triumph is not guaranteed, but you would have dared greatly. And that would have been a life well lived, time well spent. And so, um, it, it, my bumper sticker for life on this one is get in the arena. That's a powerful way to end, brother. That is a powerful way to end, and I love it. I love it. Um, I love that quote. I love the way that you, or that speech, and I love the way you've referenced it. Um, So I don't think there's any more that needs to be said there. Um, So I, you know, I will, from my side, I just want to say thank you to Helen for a great um, topic question. Um, Feels like it's got... There's more legs in the discussion, so undoubtedly we'll come back to it again. It'll be weave its way into future episodes, as these things always do. They're all interconnected. Um, but thank you, because there's not a person in the world that doesn't have something that they can free themselves from, is my hunch. And so your your question is a is a gift to us all. So thank you for that, and um, thank you to everyone for listening. And brother, any final words from you before we sign off? Yeah, I just yeah again thank you, Helen, and and I think we all we all carry trauma with us, whether it's capital T, small T. It's meaningful to us, and it's and it's profoundly impacting, and it can create a lot of suffering. But there is a way to suffer beautifully by being curious and, and seeing it for what it is. And you do not have to spend your life uh, full of, of regret or full of fear when, when, when you come to see that you, there's nothing you actually have to do mm-hmm. other than let go of the illusions. And that is, and, and, you know, it goes back to what we were saying during the course of this, 
um, your quote from Sid Banks. Like it is fucking exhausting, like living your life like that. And actually, once you've got over the initial like task of letting go a lot of that that stuff, it actually becomes easier because you know how exhausting it is to go back there. And so you become intolerant of going back there. And so it, it becomes easier and easier to stay in that good place because my God, it's, it's hard work when you, uh, when you're berating yourself for, for at the altar of illusion, like it's just, it's horrible. So yeah, thanks Helen. Been a great session. Loved it. Uh, got me all fired up. <laughs> um, and now I'm going to go and have a boogie board. So. <laughs> well, uh, you go and have your boogie board, uh, everyone else, wherever you are listening, thank you and go and boogie down with whatever is happening in your life. And, um, Enjoy this moment. This is the only moment we've got. Nothing in the past is any predictor of what's going to happen next. Continue to live into your brilliance and we will see you next week. Over and out. Thank you for joining us on this enlightening journey, unraveling the innate brilliance within every human being. We hope today's episode has sparked new thoughts and inspired fresh perspectives. Remember, The power to shatter illusions and unleash your true potential lies within you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite platform. If you'd like more insights and daily doses of inspiration, you can follow me on Instagram at alkennycoaching. Or you can connect with myself and Mark on LinkedIn, uh, where we will share articles and perspectives about unlocking your innate brilliance. Remember, you are capable of extraordinary things. Keep believing, keep exploring, and keep shining brightly. Take care and stay brilliant.